0: Over a hill and under a misty mountain, deep within the unceded Musqueam territory of Vancouver, British Columbia, I'm Doug Vandalay with another episode of Comedy Zeitgeist. You can follow the show on Twitter at Comedy Zeitgeist and pester me at Doug Vanderlei. Hello to everybody listening on CITR 101.9 here for the first 30 minutes of the show. He's your reptilian wizard and your frozen dookie bruiser. <laughs> I'm joined today by Holden McNeely. How's it going, Holden? Good, man. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Went to a uh, David Bowie dance party last night in honor of the, That's awesome. the week of his birth and his death, so that was pretty fun. That's great. I've been seeing things on social
1: media about that and uh, remembering when he died, which was uh, the year of
0: celebrity deaths, I believe and he was kicking it off really hard. That was a tough one. Uh, do you guys ever consider doing a whisper episode on him?
1: Oh, God, I'd love to. Well, I mean, you know, we're a part of the Last Podcast Network, and I know that um, upon his death, the Last Podcast on the Left guys did a whole, like, David Bowie and the Occult episode, um, so definitely check that out, but I would love to do an episode on him. We've got a few nerd-centric uh, musicians that we definitely want to cover. They Might Be Giants is a big one. We, we did the gorillas already, um, but anything that's sort of... I guess fits in we, we're trying to like be as mindful as possible to stay nerdy and sometimes we get a little off the script I feel like Leslie Nielsen was like questionable in terms of a subject for our show I guess I should say too Wizard and the Bruiser if you don't know is a research-based podcast where two comedians sit around and, and joke around but also kind of inform about the history of something that has a big fandom like um, Dragon Ball Z or uh, you know what else Lord of the Rings you know that kind of thing and so so, and we've done uh, bands before. Uh, so you do that podcast with Jake Young? Jake Young, yes, who um, he works at Dorkly. Uh, I knew Jake from the stand-up scene in New York more so, and that's how we met. And he was doing a podcast called Nerd of Mouth with uh, Mike Lawrence, who is um, a great comic. Uh, and then Mike moved to L.A., and I was, it was kind of perfect timing because I was sort of searching for a new show to do, kind of searching for um, just a, a way to, I guess... Um, show off another part of my personality because, like, if you know me just from Roundtable to Gentlemen, I'm just, like, this lizard fucking monster. Uh <laughs> So, but I'm also, like, a big time nerd, so it was fun to have an excuse to
0: um, be nerdy as shit. And the level of research you guys do is... is Pretty outstanding. I learn a lot from from that show. Listen every week.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah. um, I feel like we cover each other's bases really well. I think I do kind of more like bullet point factoid stuff. And Jake will kind of do some uh hunting for the things that maybe I would miss in doing that sort of thing, you know? Um, I'm kind of getting all the date of of birth and all that kind of stuff and little, like, facts about the person's life or whatever we're covering. And he'll be like, hey, did you happen to catch this weird thing on this weird website that, like, is... I don't know how the hell he finds these things. Uh, And I'm like, of course not. (laughs) Thank you for informing me of that, because I never would have caught that, if that makes any sense. What was your favorite episode to research? Oh, that's a good question. I would say... I guess the ones that are the most surprising, like for me, I think it was one of our less popular episodes, but uh, the Hatsune Miku episode was really fun because Hatsune Miku, she's like a essentially like a, a computer of uh, the whole history of the coders and in Japan and how they just kind of created like a digital pop star that doesn't really exist. And that that's just such a weird concept, like things like that. I really love things that um, and things that that really the story really presents itself very well. I'm trying to think of a good episode that really had like a beautiful theme to it. Uh, but uh definitely I think Mega Man and Resident Evil were very similar similar stories of people working in big uh, dev uh, companies in Japan and sort of sneaking off to the side and working on their little project off to the side which was Resident Evil in that case or in uh, for Mega Man it was was Mega Man and so uh, they were essentially uh, kind of just kind of that was their dumb little side project but that was the project they were working on you know all hours of the night and then of course it, it ended up being this big success and I really Like just learning about what makes things successful and you know, it's helpful for me because I'm also not, not only do I do the podcast, but I do. I have my own Twitch stream and I'm also trying to like sell TV shows and do things like that. I would love to be involved in making a game at some point in my life, potentially. So I really enjoy just finding um, what it is about things that made them such huge, huge successes and why people love them. And it really tends to be um, a greater passion than just getting money. And it tends to be um, kind of actually great restrictions lead to big success which is interesting like oh your budget is shit and you're gonna have to work on this after hours and you're gonna have the smallest team of any of the you know groups in the company and yet those are the people who, who end up really making something
0: like amazing um, so that, that was kind of an interesting thing to learn as well Well, living in New York City, it might be hard to find some caves behind your house to get started. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't have caves to explore behind my house. Okay, so I really got to do all the work,
1: uh, you know, in the city. I can go explore sewers under my building, but
0: um, I just I just don't want to I don't want to throw up. So I'm going to avoid that. Were there any episodes that were particularly difficult to research?
1: Oh, yeah. I feel like anything that just doesn't, you know, I mean, the first thing I look up is, you know, I go to the Wikipedia pages and I just kind of expand, like, you know, open up a million tabs through that spider web and then also just immediately type in like oral history of or making of. I mean, Street Fighter had like this amazing oral history um, Final Fantasy 7 had the same thing where I think it was a Polygon article it's just this unbelievable in-depth retelling but other things maybe don't I'm a little nervous about we're about to do Katamari Damacy which is a uh, incredibly Japanese video game I'm loving right now I'm playing it actually currently um, where you like roll this world up in a ball essentially and it's just this really weird interesting game and I'm like I hope there's enough out there about this you know uh, whereas other things like the history of fucking superman like there's a million resources for that you know oh that reminds me another one of my favorites is wonder woman because that has such a fascinating like this guy was in a polyamorous relationship the guy who created it and um you know it's kind of a seems that the women in his life really drove that character and like they should have gotten more credit, and and he just has all these weird ins and outs to him. But anyways, I digress. I think it's just, you know, uh, Never Ending Story was a little challenging. I feel like we just did that one because, again, it's just, you know, I had I had whatever I could dig up on the Internet, but it wasn't, like,
0: just immediate, um, the research available. You're also part of sketch comedy group Metaphist, a yes. self-described journey to the extreme horizon of your mind ocean. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) What are some of the overarching themes of sketches the group does? I
1: would say, well, you know, I'd say early on we were just a bunch of, like, idiot dudes in college. We all met in college um, for the most part, uh, and... We just started just doing whatever. I had literally just gotten kicked out of the acting school. So I was kind of devastated from that. And then the, the same night I got kicked out of the acting school. Um, I'm just giving you this origin story, by the way, even
0: though you didn't ask for it. <laughs> uh, but you, you the mean, uh, day You've been pretty I, successful at covering my questions without me asking them. <laughs> Maybe I've done this a time or two.
1: Um, But I do love our story. Um, I do love how we how we initially formed because it was this uh, sort of bad news bears underdog kind of tale. But we uh, yeah, we the day I got kicked out of acting school, um, I had I was already scheduled to be on my first improv show that I'd ever done since high school. It just happened to be that night. And I did it with my buddy John Moreno and we crushed. We just murdered. And I was like so miserable in acting school trying to be whatever this serious actor thing that I convinced myself I needed to be after high school. Um, I kind of turned my back on comedy, which is so stupid. And um, I just struggled, struggled, struggled. Then I got kicked out from that. And then that night did the improv show and just had this unbelievable, you know euphoric experience like just oh this is what i should have been doing this entire time so um we started writing sketch comedy shortly after that i especially was heavily inspired and i guess we'll get into this a little later in the episode as well obviously but i was very inspired by mr show i um My buddy got me the DVD, like, the first and second season DVD set. And I'd never watched it when it came out on HBO um, because I didn't have cable in my room, pretty much, uh, was the reason. So I just, like, couldn't believe what I was seeing, it was just so just experimental and crazy. And it just was like, Oh, and then it also just made me feel like I can do this. Like, I think I can do this and would love to do this. And so we put on, um, uh, we, we, John and I got to work and we recruited some people and, uh, we put on a, the first show we put on was in the uh, parking lot of my apartment complex. I had like neighbors moving, putting couches out into the parking lot and we set up a little stage and um, mounted this like hour long sketch comedy show the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And it was a fucking blast. It was just such a great time. And again, I just had this like, oh, this is what I need to be doing moment. And it kind of came from there. Like everybody sort of slowly joined from there. I mean, the one person that was like the real, you know, where we set out to recruit was uh, Henry and Henry Zabrowski, John, John essentially told me um you know you got to check out this guy henry he's unbelievable we've got to get him in the in the sketch show so i went and saw this uh play he did he did this monologue as like a uh, I believe it was a 24-hour play they had to write a show in 24 hours and put it on and he did this monologue as this like kids show host where he like blows his brains out at the end and it was like unbelievable and like I just immediately like ran up to him afterwards and introduced myself and um, we became fast friends from there and he started doing murder fist stuff and then we slowly convinced him to stop saying yes to other people's projects and only say yes to our project and uh and I, others formed from there as well Henry of course a co-host of last podcast on the left by the way that is uh, the Henry I'm referring to. Also, Ed Larson, Ed, Eddie Tunes from Roundtable of Gentlemen, the uh, other podcast that is um, sort of on hiatus right now. Uh, He was uh, our weed dealer and uh, was just like around and hanging out and clearly wanted to be involved. And all of a sudden, I remember I flew in from like uh, like Christmas break or something like that and John I call up John and I'm like what are we meeting what are we doing because I was just so excited to get back to work with Murder Fist and he was like oh yeah Ed's in the group now It's like okay <laughs> I guess Ed's in the group now and is you know became one of the prime members and uh, yeah we we started doing these like summer sketch comedy shows and then we got a uh, weekly gig at Brothers which is like the only gay bar in Tallahassee Florida I went to Florida State University by the way so this is all set in Tallahassee and then we all decided to move up to new york at the same time and hit it hard in new york um as a team as a group of about i think eight people i think it it was 14 at one point and that was way too many people and then i think it narrowed down to like eight over time but anyways yeah and we just started doing shows in new york city which was scary and fun as hell and met all the great comics and people that we work with today um so yeah what was the original question?
0: <laughs> I think the original question was me saying that you were part of the, the group Murder Fist. Oh, okay oh no I, I asked what are some of the overarching themes of the sketches that uh
1: yes yeah, so the overarching themes oh the reason why i brought that up in the first place was i feel like when we were idiots in college um it came to our attention i think megan boone brought this to our attention megan boone who we he, we did a bunch of stuff with she's star of uh, the blacklist on uh t- on tv uh and she was like do you notice that all the women in your sketches are either prostitutes or nazis and we we're like that's a really interesting thing <laughs> we need really we have some
0: issues that we need to work out that common chauvinist trope that all women are known. yeah our, our 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 initial uh i think it's just like dudes who
1: can't get laid who are just like acting out um <laughs> about it creatively at least and not in some gr- uh, other awful way so we we had to sort of analyze things like that and Clean up our act in certain ways, but I think most of uh, our tropes are still pretty violent and aggressive and dirty. Our tropes are generally like just awful, insane people in the world. Ultra violence for sure. We love to get really bloody. We we uh, we would have a lot of blood packets in our shows. A lot of um, a lot of just like murder, constantly stabbing, shooting. Definitely a lot of uh, definitely a lot of uh, just dirty, blue material mixed with. With like heavy absurdity I really never liked getting political or you know topical or really and and, and I think a lot of what we tried to do is uh, both shock and surprise and never and that's one thing that I loved about early mr. show was that they really um, were just so surprising and and so just not like like if you study sketch comedy writing you can really learn the format pretty it's pretty it becomes pretty clear what the the base basic uh bullet points are to writing like a uh, you know a a classic like snl style sketch right but i feel like mr show was the first time i saw where they were just like okay you think we're going here but now we're just going to go in this completely other direction and i loved that and tried to do that as much as i could in murder fist whenever i could and then um you know And then it just kind of depended. I mean, we were a bit of a a collective, so it really kind of depended on who was writing what. But I mean, if you were working with Henry, I mean, it's going to be these big explosive characters, right? If you're working with uh, Ed, it's going to be Ed who um, now is like Jeff Ross's right-hand man, um, works on all of the roast specials and all that stuff. Ed is like Mr. Joke Machine. So you're going to get just like one-liner, one-liner, one-liner. So it really kind of depended on who touched what. But I think those are some kind of underlying themes and elements to Murder Fist comedy. Very aggressive. We were always known as
0: being very, very aggressive. So you, you mentioned uh, the sketches Henry are involved in and the sketches that Ed is involved in. What, what would you say is your influence on the sketches?
1: Yeah, so uh, I would say my thing is more like the premise and kind of like... ed and henry struggled to write sketches um alone or without me because i was kind of the guy that could come up with the idea for you know the i the game if you want to call it that if that to use a ucb term like i could come up with that premise to, to that that sets the scene that gets the sketch going and facilitate um the material right and and kind of drive the material forward like and it depended on who i was working with i mean if i worked with henry a lot of times we would almost do these little like improv scenes just in my apartment where we just start talking to each other in character and then we'd sort of start writing from there i was also just straight up the typist for most of the i was the fastest typer and therefore the person that was really putting the sketch down on paper and really keeping the focus and keeping it moving i'm also a bit of um a sketch workhorse, I guess you could say, um, like right now I'm in a, I, I uh, produce a sketch comedy show on my Twitch stream called John Twitcherman uh, Sketch Sketch Program uh, is the full name. And uh, we like, uh, like, it's like, all right, all right, we have to write sketches and put them in this share folder. Um, it's a little less collaborative in that since everybody just kind of writes on their own. And um, for that, uh, I where people might write like a few sketches for a monthly show. I my my uh, my like definite quota is ten sketches have to go into the folder every month, um, and that's like at least. And I really prefer it to be more than that. I like to just put a lot of stuff down on paper um, for revision and, and just try to get as much stuff into the show as I can. And I'm kind of aggressive with that on the writing side. Uh, but yeah, I'd say it's like Ed was the joke guy, Henry was is the character guy, and I'm like the premise guy. And if you put, to me, uh, a great premise with great characters and really strong jokes is what
0: makes the perfect sketch. What are some of the best sketches in your opinion?
1: Uh, Definitely my favorite, and I know we're going to talk about Bob Odenkirk later, and that comes into play there, is The Motivational Speaker uh, on um, SNL. Bob Odenkirk wrote that sketch for Chris Farley. That was probably maybe the hardest I've ever laughed at a sketch on television. I remember my brother was like, you have to stay up tonight. They're rerunning the episode where they play it. You've got to watch this thing. This is like the funniest thing I've ever seen. I remember, I believe Counting Crows was the musical guest. It was at Saturday Night Live, and I was so young that I like had to like force myself to stay up as late enough to watch it. So I know that that was um, I I don't know exactly what age, but it was like that time in my life. And uh, man, I was just blown away by it and just love that. And again, just like great premise, great. I mean, unbelievable character with uh, Mick Foley. And even, like, the straight character, like, just just were so great in that sketch. I believe, what, Christina Applegate and David Spade play the kids, and they're just, like, watching them just try to, like, keep it together with Chris Farley just in their face. I love from Mr. Show the story of Everest – uh, a lot. That is a sketch using the rule of a million, as it's called, where essentially like, you know, there's the rule of threes where something you can do something three times before you wear it out. But then there's also another kind of addition to that. You could also just start doing something so many times that it becomes funny again. Um, and that's sort of this what the story of Everest does. It's just such a funny, funny sketch. Um, I'm trying to remember some other ones. How
0: about uh, here. a here Metaphys sketches?
1: Uh, Murder fist sketches, sure. I would say uh, there was one sketch called A is for Apple that uh, Henry and I would do. That was that was just so much fun to do with him, where essentially it's just a guy calling another guy. He's like uh, calling a funeral home to bury his brother, and he's like, "All right, what's his name? His name's Klern Robespierre. Okay, can you spell that for me? Yes, it's K as in uh, karate, O is in and and he would do the whole. Name, And then I would do it back to him. It would just get more and more absurd. It was like, okay, Clern Robespierre, let me spell that back to you. Then that's K as in corn, but like the band, um, you know, B is in butts and all this kind of stuff. And then it's like, all right, what do you want on his tombstone? And uh, I asked Henry, and he's like, how about you just put the whole fucking alphabet on that fucker? All right, can you spell that for me? And then we just go through the entire alphabet twice, just getting more and more like ridiculous with every single what the letter is. That was always so much fun to do. Let's see, what's some good like bloody ones that... Those, some good messy ones because I always loved those. There was a sketch called Russian Roulette I really loved that was just absurd and just dark and not just insane. Um, usually, usually, it was kind of like the same thing as um, David Spade and Christina, Christina Applegate laughing at Chris Farley or trying to hold it together. My favorite shit was literally staring at Henry While he did a fucking ridiculous ass monologue or something and just trying to hold it together was like my probably most some of my favorite moments um, from doing from doing that show, uh, doing Murder Fist. Well, I really enjoyed shit popsicle. Yeah, I was about to say so in that one. That was exactly one of the ones I was thinking of when I was talking about trying to hold it together, because Henry goes through this long monologue about he murdered his mother um and it's all just to tell me how why he was wearing his pants as a shirt and it just is so has so many twists and turns to it and i'm just staring at him the entire time just trying not to laugh i loved it i love it so much and that is on youtube if anyone wants to check that out um i love shit popsicle because it's just i get to have all the fun of just watching this great great performer just Destroy another one, boardroom, and that's that's actually where there's a live version of that on YouTube. Boardroom always killed, and Henry runs out on stage completely naked, and it's fucking um, insane. And just it was such a tight, aggressive, loud piece that was so much fun to do. I love you know, our, our thing was we would get on stage, we would. We, would, we wanted it to feel like a like a funk show or like a rock, like a fun party rock show. Like we would get out there. We would be dancing in between sketches. We would keep the energy up. Ed was so damn good. I haven't even mentioned, by the way, I've only mentioned Henry and Ed. There's, you know, Jackie, unbelievable performer um, who is uh, Henry's sister. Um and shout outs to, you know, John, who I mentioned earlier, and Walter, Jared, and the other performers in the group. But yeah, we would really get out there and just be really loud and aggressive and fun. And it's hard to get that out. I've directed other groups since and done things like that. And it's really, I, it made me realize how special what we have uh, is like that, that we just, we had a, we have a power and an energy that could really uh, pull focus and really, really even if you hate what we're doing you're gonna watch it you're gonna not look away and I, I think that um, that's actually a really hard thing to instill in a sketch comedy group because and it's so hard to keep momentum in sketch comedy because then that's why we would kind of make it a party in between sketches and we just get crazy and hand out drinks to people and just keep it fun as hell because um, you know the worst is when you uh, you know I always talk about this the difference between sketch comedy and stand-up one of, one of the big differences is you know in stand-up up, you're kind of working with momentum the whole time you're you're ebbing and flowing and you have to, you, you're controlling that right and you're building that momentum and you're getting the audience kind of more and more in the palm of your hand in sketch comedy one of the big pitfalls is you build momentum with the sketch you get everybody in you get everybody laughing and then the sketch ends and then we're just watching people move furniture in silence a lot of times or to some you know ironic fucking to who let the dogs out or fucking um some you know whatever pop Hit is happening currently. And it's just like, and then you lose all that momentum and you have to start all the way over again with the next sketch. So I think one of the important things is to solve the problem of how do we keep the momentum with the audience? uh with uh during scene changes and how do we figure it out and some people uh and that's why again another thing i loved about mr show was that they didn't have commercial breaks or anything every sketch bled into the into the the next and um it was so cool to see that se- seamless transition because of course they were on hbo so they didn't have commercial breaks so you really you they really got to attack that in a in a great way and i've seen people try to do it on the live stage and for better or for worse or just what like you have to do something you have to like, you know, acknowledge the audiences. They're watching you move furniture and make something out of it. What's on the
0: horizon for Modifiscs?
1: Well, uh, that's a great question. We've been uh, kind of like Roundtable of Gentlemen, Murder Fist, because what happened was everybody, you know, I'm, I'm in New York with some people. There's some people out in L.A., um, so we've been kind of disparate. I know Ed's pushing really hard to get something going again um, out in L.A. I think him and Henry might start doing a, sh- a live show out there, um, and then we can start doing some Murder Fist sketch stuff. For me per- personally, sketch comedy right now, for me, is happening on the John Twitcherman Sketch Program, which is a monthly live stream sketch. Sky show that I do on my Twitch stream, Hold Nader's Ho. So if you want like a like a subsection of Murderfist, essentially, you can find it there. Um, and then when I am gonna start going out to LA more and more through the next year. Um, and so hopefully we'll start doing some like Murderfist, Murderfist stuff out there. And then hopefully that will lead to other stuff. I don't know. It's what well, the thing is like everybody at Murderfist for the most part still works together in different ways. Like I do the live stream with Jackie. Um, I am like I write with Henry. We're working on a show right now. We're trying to get, uh, we're trying to get sold. You know, Ed. Uh, we do the brighter side live together on my live stream and some stuff like that. Uh, so it's all just sort of we're all kind of a little spread out and sort of segmented, but we're all still happily doing fun shit together, which is great. So, uh, yeah, right now it's sort of all it's just sort of we'll see, you know. But it's kind of a collective that'll always be working together in some fashion.
0: Tell me about Huffing It with Biff and Stu.
1: Yeah, man. Um, I would love to bring that back. I would love to bring that back for uh, even maybe a live stream thing where we could just do like a psychedelic trip live stream. That is a a web series that uh, I put together with Henry. I think Henry and I always really loved you know the the version of the group that was our sort of two person sketches that we would write and we wanted to see, see how weird we could get we wanted to see how crazy we could get and also like <clears throat> and this is still kind of the case but you know, when you get, you know, when you tr- get to trying to break into the industry, you have to kind of look at what's around you. We, we moved up to New York to do a live show and get a sh- TV show based off of a live show. We would, we, you know, we thought like, oh, that's how you get a TV show. You go, you have a hit live show, important people come to see it. They ask you, you know, to, for a pilot. And then you make the pilot and then you get on TV, um, which is kind of the case. But then right when we got to New York, it was like YouTube is the thing now. And you have to already have followers and you have to already have like a million views on your videos in order for us to even take a meeting with you. It just completely changed everything. So um, part of that was literally just the desperate need to get a web series out there because that seemed to be the thing. Right. It was like, oh, it's not about like live radio and stage shows or any of that anymore. It's podcasts and YouTube, and we had to adapt to that. So it was half just a pure effort to get a web series on YouTube um, actually I believe it was through my damn channel which again you look back you've got you know funny or die my damn channel a bunch of others like it where they were like we are a comedy video hosting website and that has kind of hit the wayside as well over the past uh, few years um, and and the web series market just got incredibly oversaturated as well but we but Henry and I put our heads together and we just wanted to come up with a premise that would allow us to get as crazy as we wanted to get and so two guys hosting a talk show that doesn't exist in their living room while huffing a shitload of paint was the way to do that we we just like if these two guys are hallucinating that they are hosting a talk show we can do anything. We can we can have anything we want happen to these guys, and um, it can all be in their head. You know, it can all just be in the world. Like the world can be as dark and weird and crazy as we want it. And so that's essentially what happened with uh, Huffin' It. And I love Huffin' It. And I, I hope uh, anybody listening check out Huffin' It. Um, I get compliments on that every now and again. Like I love it, man. It's so great. I'm like, please, please. And and Henry and I have talked um even recently about doing another Huffin' It sometime down the road. Because again, it is just an open palette to be as darkly insane as we can get. How involved were you with the characters? Uh, I co-wrote it with Henry and Ed. So the characters on Netflix, um, our, um, our episode ran. Uh, yeah, I, I co-wrote with Henry, uh, Henry and Ed, and then also Ed and I were just on set for the majority of shooting. The director was so cool. He, he made us feel like co-directors. We, could, we just got to do all the fun stuff when it, came, when it comes to directing though, just giving Henry notes and new jokes to try and stuff like that. He does the Naked Guy monologue from Boardroom. We put that in the special to kind of finally immortalize it on film. So some of it was definitely Murder Fist inspired. A lot of it was. And then, yeah, we we just got, again, we just got the open opportunity to, to be like, hey, just do whatever you want. Netflix was so fun cool about it. They had some notes, but they weren't too, uh, up our asses at all. Like everybody says that about Netflix and it's so true. They were just so supportive and just wanted to get our ideas on the screen the way we wanted them. Um, I think it was a good first effort. I feel like we, you know, looking back like, man, we could do so much better. We could do, we could do, um, so much more, but I do, I do still feel pretty proud of what we, what we accomplished there. Um, But yeah, it was kind of an it was an amazing opportunity. I mean, uh, I just got the call from Henry uh, and, you know, it was like, all right, we're working on a show all of a sudden. And it was I just wanted to live on that set. It was so much fun to just run around on a on a film set like that as one of the people who were in charge creatively who have the that kind of respect creatively um, and just get to, it was just such a fun, just playground for us. I mean, we just got to, just to get to just, to, just the magic of writing something down and having a giant crew of people realize it and you know, on, on film is like there, nothing beats that. Like nothing compares to that to me creatively. It's like, unbel- you just see you walk into a giant room. There's like, I don't know how many, like 40 people or something, and they're all running around to make this fucking ridiculous idea that you wrote down, like, happen. It's incredible. I'll, I'll never get over it.
0: So you mentioned a few times throughout this conversation your Twitch stream. Uh, what led to that?
1: Well, essentially, uh, I think like most things, a uh, complete and utter desperation. Um, Murder Fist was slowing down in a huge way because people were moving to LA and having other projects take off. You know, Roundtable was starting to go on hiatus, too, at that time. Uh, just different projects of mine were starting to fall a little bit to the wayside and I was really searching for an identity and uh, so I just started trying everything I tried all sorts of weird stuff I even did this thing there was this thing I don't know if you know the app HQ but um, before HQ was a success that's this trivia game app that uh, some friends of mine are working on before that they had this other app called hype where you would do these like live stream shows on your phone that you could curate and it was trying to d- it never really took off but it was a really interesting idea it was kind of like twitch light in a way and i was doing that i was i was uh i was teaching i was directing a comedy group doing still doing roundtable as much as i could starting getting wizard and the bruiser going and another thing i wanted uh, you know i think it was even ben kissel from last podcast Who was my roommate um at a at a time, he he was like, You should try Twitch, you should just do it. You should just try it. It's like the thing people are doing now. And you play video games and stuff. And I was getting also really back into video games because probably because I was getting more and more isolated from my friends and stuff at that time. I had just moved to Astoria too, which even though like you think that's like close to Brooklyn, um, it's just not like you just get isolated sometimes when you when you do things like that. And um, I don't know, just I just started losing my mind and trying. Trying everything I could to not work. Oh, oh! I should also mention I was working at a um, insurance agency, a real estate insurance agency. And every moment there, and and they were nice enough, but every moment there for me was death. And I just wanted to die, and I just wanted to get out of it so fucking bad. So I was just like, "Fuck it! I'll try anything." What is Twitch? What is this? And we just started doing a weekly show with uh, my lovely fiance Alexis, called Lexi Loves Game Night, where we would just stream video games and um, talk to people who showed up to watch watch us. And I had enough people from Roundtable of Gentlemen, especially, who liked my work that also played video games and also wanted to hang out with me and my lovely fiance while we played video games. And uh, they started showing up and more and more people started watching. And from there we, uh, I think it was the day we, we we always complained about our shitty couch. And I think maybe even it was even someone in chat on Twitch who was like, hey, you should raise money for a new couch. Well, I'll throw it down. But at this point, we've been doing a free show once a week for a year. Um, we would do like every Monday night from like 9 to 11 I think were our hours I can't remember exactly and so we're like okay cool so we put up a fundraiser for the couch we got the couch in like one stream and we were completely blown away by it and then you know things were starting to heat up in my job and get kind of bad at my job Uh, I could tell the end was near on that and I said to myself well if I can raise up enough money on Twitch to buy a PC and like get a real streaming setup I will do I will just quit my job and do this and I got the PC with a month, within like a few streams. And I couldn't believe it. I was completely blown away by the generosity and love from the community that I was receiving. And essentially, just the green light that I got from a handful of strangers to say, dude, go for it. Get your dream. And so I left my job and started, uh, essentially became a part-time streamer, part-time podcaster with uh, freelance work on the side. And so far, it's been working out. I never look back. Anybody who's listening to this, if you are like me, on the brink of, you know... Like like, like saying to yourself, oh, I can't do something crazy like that. I can't just like walk away from my job and try this crazy thing. That's not what people do. Um, fucking go for it and really just, just uh, take the chance because I have got to say it is the best. Leaving that job and jumping into the abyss of I don't even know if I'm going to be able to pay rent next month. I'm pretty sure I can, but let's go. Let's get it was like the
0: greatest decision I've ever made in my life. Well, it's a it's a good stream as well so i'm sure no uh, thanks many of the listeners will be glad you did that
1: it's a lot of fun i started off just playing video games and stuff but we're doing a lot of crazy shit now i mean like i said we're doing the sketch comedy stream i'm going to be producing a play later in the year um i'm trying to i'm going to try to produce like a full length music video, essentially for my buddy's album, just trying to do as many weird, interesting things with it that I don't see anybody else doing because it's just such a fun, again, clean, open palette for a lot of experimentation. And I'm not sure how much I can talk about this, but also put me in a perfect position for Last Podcast Network because they are looking to launch their own big stream that I will be heavily involved in, hence me going out to LA um, more this next year. And I'm very excited about that. And again, I just sort of put myself in the perfect position. Uh, What was I saying? I put myself in the perfect position for, um, you know, to get more work and just to keep getting work, doing fun shit and not uh, fucking data entry and like accounting. I was doing like accounting for a real estate firm like two, you know, what, a year and a half ago or something. And I just can't
0: believe I even lived that life at one point. Well, that sounds like a personal nightmare, accounting at (laughs) real estate. It's like two of my least favorite things, I think.
1: Oh, it was awful. I, I I tempt all over New York City. I've done so many horrible jobs in New York. I, I busted my ass for so long. And people say, I hate when I hear people be, uh, if anyone, and this rarely happens, but people be like, oh, you you know, you like, like talking about just like, oh, all these people just like give you money and let you just play video games for a living. It's like, dude, I worked my dick off for fucking 10 years or something like 7 years where i literally would work a 9 to 5 and then leave and work essentially another part time job um if not multiple in that i would immediately leave and always had something in the evening um sketch writing or a show uh uh any like just so many so many hours i was always tired for like at least 5 years i want to say like always tired like so i'm like you know what Maybe I could just chill for a little bit, <laughs> for like at least a couple the, years.
0: The work that goes into being a Twitch streamer. I uh, I work mm-hmm. at Streamlabs. I don't know if you know the. Oh wow! Company. Awesome. I love Streamlabs. Oh great. Well, uh, I- I'll let them know. I guess this is <laughs> this yeah. Is- <laughs> That's so, so into, that's so integral.
1: I will tell you, too, I mean, not to like blow up Streamlabs or whatever, but I mean, I was like, the first thing I said to
0: the LPN guys was like, I know you know it's Twitch and OBS, but you need to look at Streamlabs.
1: Oh, Anyways, awesome. what were you going to
0: say? Yeah, so I had a, uh, a podcast through work for a bit. There was a bit of an experiment that didn't go anywhere, but it was a, a podcast about streaming uh, using Streamlabs uh, OBS. But we work with streamers every day, and I don't envy them at all. For instance, obviously the most famous Twitch streamer, Ninja. That guy, like, yeah, you know, say what you want about him. He works his ass off constantly, like six days a week, and it just seems yeah. like he has no free time whatsoever. And even uh, the smaller streamers, um, such as yourself, this is—it's not just sitting around playing video games. It's like uh, when you're in college and you have a class where you watch a movie, but you can't really enjoy it because you're taking notes the whole time.
1: Right. I liken it more to really talk radio than stream because, and I love watching people try it thinking like, oh, this will be a cinch and see how difficult it is. I mean, you have so many uh, moving plates. at one time you're paying attention to chat you're paying attention to the game or whatever activity you're doing you're paying attention to you know you're trying not to pay attention how many people are watching you're you know you've got a you're dealing with all these different tech issues on the production end of things i mean it is so just there's so much going on at at one time that yeah i am mentally exhausted especially after like a long stream um and and also though really just i i feel like i have the gift to gab a little bit um which helps me a lot with my twitch stream and people don't realize like how much space you have to fill with constant communication i mean i feel like brain dead at the end of some streams because i feel like i'm just my mentals have just been going on a hundred you know for three four hours at a time and that's not even to mention like people like ninja or dr disrespect whatever these dudes just stream for fucking like seven hours on the regular and I can't even do that like I you know I I, when I first started streaming I hit it really really hard I just like just hours and hours I would do like seven hours a day like four days a week and then or maybe it was like I think Monday and Friday were seven hour long streams and then it would be like four hours on the other days with like one or two days off and that's like nothing compared to what those guys stream and it's it's completely exhausting
0: um and that's on top of uh, the podcast and all that stuff so we just uh, started another podcast on this network the cave goblin network uh that is a live stream if you're listening awesome i'll, I'll run an ad that holden won't hear until later <laughs> uh but yeah uh, and what's uh what's the twitch uh, what's the twitch uh page Everyone is Jonas is a live streamed competitive role playing podcast hosted by me Doug Vanderlei. me Eric Ivanovich and me Talia Murdoch on Twitch.tv forward slash Cave Goblins every Monday at seven thirty PM PST. Uh, it's Twitch.tv slash Cave Goblins. We do that. Cave go, awesome. On Monday nights at seven thirty Pacific time, and it's. uh, Have you ever played the Everyone is John?
1: No, I've not played everyone is
0: competitive role playing game. And so basically that's uh that's what we do. Me and two other awesome. hosts and a uh, rotating guest. Well,
1: I just gave you a follow, man. I'm am d- definitely down to check it
0: out. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I just heard my uh heard my little notification sound for that. Thank you for that.
1: <laughs> no problem. I got to say on my other monitor I do have uh AGDQ uh happening. It is so much fun to watch the speedrun uh, marathon, so I was like, oh, I'm already
0: on Twitch. <laughs> awesome games. done quick
1: yes awesome games done quick once uh, well, actually it happens twice a year they do it once in the summer as well for summer games done quick and I got to go see it live last year but it's where all these speedrunners meet up and for a week straight 24 hours a day they speed run video games right now they're doing uh, Legend of Zelda link to the past if you don't if you don't know what AGDQ is all about like just definitely check it out they they archive everything on YouTube I'm just like such a uh, I just love this whole thing it's amazing and they've already raised uh, a million Like a million, over a million three hundred thousand dollars for the charity for uh, the Prevent Cancer Foundation. So, anyways, not to digress. Here I am. I'm just, I'm just a promotional machine. I'm just promoting them and you now. What is, what is happening?
0: (laughs) I think you built for it. Yeah, built for Twitch and, <laughs> and Sketch. Showbiz in general. Speaking of, of Showbiz, and you, you mentioned uh, making a music video, why, why don't we talk a little bit about The Cowman?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's the other thing I almost forget sometimes. I'm also in a band called The Cowman. We're playing City Winery. I don't know when this comes out, but we're playing City Winery in NYC, which is a pretty big deal for us on Tuesday night, this Tuesday night. Um,
0: well, this comes out the day be... after, unfortunately. so hopefully <laughs> That's got to check okay. Last out.
1: night we played a really fun gig and you missed it. And you probably would have missed it anyways because you might be in Canada. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, Kalman, we, we refer to ourselves as Nightmare Country. Um, I've been in this band for I don't even know how many years now. It's been a lot of fun. Unfortunately, Marcus uh, from Last Podcast on the Left, he uh, is is still our drummer, but he's so busy right now. They're working on a book and tours and all this craziness. So right now, uh, Andrew Short from The Story Must Be Told is taking his place as drummer. Um, and Andrew is also fan- a fantastic drummer as well. And um, we uh, yeah. Yeah, I do that with uh, my buddy Doug and uh, Devin and Carly, who I do a lot of Twitch streaming with, actually. Um, and yeah, we have a, an EP out called Bad News. You can get our first album on vinyl if you want as well. Just check out Kalman on Bandcamp. But uh, yeah, we, you know, it's it's weird. it's so funny. I feel like, I feel like a, a writer and a comic kind of first. And I feel like I've just been pretending to be the front man of a band for so, so many years now. And it's like no 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 you're you are just a front man of a band but to me I feel like I'm always like just like um in you know d- playing dress up and like getting into a role like I guess I approach it more like an actor or something but I have so much fucking fun playing in this band um, I also do a lot of the uh, songwriting um, pretty good at, at writing a tune. Uh, I like to think. And so I'm very involved in that since I used to play a little bit more. I used to play a little guitar in the group, but I haven't been so much lately. And that's more on me for not um, practicing enough.
0: (laughs) Probably. I love the song Maggie from uh, Russia town
1: awesome yeah yeah that's so that's a fun one uh we we did that one recently we opened for this like kind of clean cut band recently and we did maggie and uh <laughs> the for opening lines maggie maggie was a bitch maggie was a horror. but i never was just here walking out of that door and just the moment that line came out um <laughs> the, the audience was just like whoa <laughs> I think it was a lot of like God fearing Christians in the house that night. Um, and uh, yeah, that was kind of funny to get to do that. I mean, we're definitely, you know, again, like everything else I do,
0: it's going to be a little blue, whatever. But it, we, yeah, we have a fucking blast, man. Well, it's a lot more like a uh, classic country, outlaw country than uh, the sort of stuff you hear on the radio. Of
1: course, yeah, and all of our influences are from old style. Well, Doug's, Doug the guitarist, his uh, his grandfather's name was Bobby Austin, and he wrote uh, some country hits and was a Nashville guy. His biggest one was a, a song called Apartment Number Nine. So we really do have some real authentic country in the blood of the group and everybody except for devin he's from connecticut i think but everybody else is from all parts of the south uh marcus from texas uh carly texas i'm north carolina and doug's florida so we really do kind of cover the south pretty well and i think you can hear that in the
0: sound it's definitely got a lot of spirit yeah for sure do you think you guys will ever tour canada
1: I would love to. Um, I would love to get up to Canada for multiple reasons. I think uh, also there's a potential, you know, Wizard and the Bruiser are going to start. We're going to do our first live show soon here in New York and um, try to kind of pull that together and then hopefully take that on the road at some point. Would be a blast. Uh, But yeah, I've never been to Canada, actually, and I've always wanted to go. So I'd love a good excuse, whether it's the Cowman or Wizard and the Bruiser
0: or Murder Fist or whatever it is. I would love to get up there. Well, just don't make the same mistake that uh, the last podcast, boy, Made when they came to Vancouver. Spent the whole time in the downtown East Side, which is basically Hamsterdam from the Wire. <laughs> That's amazing. Love the reference too. That's so funny. So they just say they were just in the shittiest part of th- <laughs>
1: Is it supposed to be really nice? is it Vancouver supposed to
0: be nice? Yeah, it like- is. But there's one part uh, called the Downtown East Side, East Hastings, where it's basically the homeless and drug addicted have carte blanche basically to do whatever they want around there because, as a certain point, you can't punish someone anymore. Like, what else are you going to do? Right. So they're going to do. They just make sure no one's being violent down there, or you know, just mess, messing with, uh, messing with other people. And basically, so people will be shooting up on the street there. There's a lot of drug use, drug dealing, and homelessness around there. And the theater are at the Rickshaw Theater, is right in the heart of the downtown East Side. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah so i i was actually fortunate to be able to talk to them backstage and they said i think it was uh travis booked their accommodation in coquitlam which is like an hour out of town so <laughs> so they really didn't see vancouver much at all uh, which was uh, unfortunate
1: that is unfortunate well hopefully they'll, i'm sure they'll have a, a opportunity to go
0: back well, and right the so wrongs it see, the like every time it comes up on a uh, last podcast they they don't talk too kindly about the city <laughs> Which is fair, from what they saw. (laughs) That's so funny. Before the show, I asked Holden about a comedic influence to talk about today, and he came back with Bob Odenkirk. So we've talked a little bit about this before, but uh, what does Bob Odenkirk mean to you? Oh, so many things, man. It's actually kind of become more
1: complicated as the years have gone by. It's an interesting story, but I would say this guy really inspired me to get get into sketch comedy kind of having that moment of watching Mr. Show and and seeing and seeing him uh, uh, do his thing and just finding him to be so funny and you know see him running this show and I'm like I think I could do that myself I would like to try to do that myself and and so really really he inspired me to Start Murder Fist in college, and uh, I just love his comedy so much, and and the evolution of his career has been incredible. I mean, now he's you know the star of Better Call Saul, and had this really g- great turn as a serious actor as well um, as this like comedy powerhouse. But he was also a guy who really struggled a lot, and you know I think one of his thi- I love this one story he tells. I think he tells it in Live from New York. Um, he did write for Saturday Night Live at, at a point. I, I think it was like he he went he was like a young young guy and he went to go visit um second city i think it was and he kept getting regaled with these stories of how like john belushi just showed up and did this crazy thing and we just cast him immediately and this other guy just kind of was a natural and he just you know did this and that and he really had a hard time with that and he finally found somebody to talk to he was like no no no, it's it's okay there's also people like you who just have to work your ass off to get anywhere in this business and you're not just gonna it's not just gonna happen to you because you're this like crazy charismatic guy like a Belushi or something like that right and I always appreciated that I always appreciate artists like that Um, there's another uh, my favorite jazz musicians Bill Evans and he has the same kind of thing where he's like you know a lot of guys show up and they're just immediately naturally talented at something but you know I I believe in hard work and I was never as talented as those guys but I just worked harder than everybody else and that's where how I got to where I got and Odenkirk very much had that same uh, thought process and that's coming from a person like me who's always felt like an underdog and always felt like someone who had to really, um, really push hard to get anywhere and and really didn't feel like I ever got anything handed to me. And even Murderfist, MurderFist always was just treated weirdly by the industry and by even club owners and stuff. We've been like kicked out of clubs and all this dumb shit and for for nothing and you know we're always kind of treated like punks and uh, had to really again just just work harder and be louder and be crazier than everybody else and that, that that was kind of like it just seemed like Odenkirk really kind of had that same aesthetic and then he also just happened to write all this unbelievable stuff that I love I mean, probably my like I said earlier my favorite sketch of all time is probably the motivational speaker sketch with Chris Farley well he wrote that for Chris Farley and I loved that too and I do that uh, a lot with Henry Uh, I love that he wrote that and instead of trying to cast himself in it he was like no 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 this guy is going to crush this piece I'm going to give it to him Um, and I try to do that in my writing practice I try not to be selfish with material or anything like that so I just really liked his basic philosophies that I'd read in interviews and things like that. And, uh, he through the years, yeah, just seeing him kind of struggle and, 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 um, have some success and then have some failure and then get back on the success train was really amazing. The sad thing is I think he doesn't like me and, um, I'm really bummed out about that. Uh, I, I don't know if he doesn't like, it's not that he doesn't like me specifically, but essentially what happened was murder fist and his show that he was, producing with a group called the Birthday Boys. They had a show on TV murder fist did just had a live show that um this guy from the new york times came out to and it was like a big deal for us we you know the photographer came out and we're like i guess the new york times is doing an article about us this is crazy you know um like that's amazing to us like to be taken seriously like that by the you know a, a major publication like that a renowned publication like that and so they came out and we put on a big show and it was a good show and we felt strong about It. And then, maybe a week or two weeks or however long it was later, uh, this article comes out in the New York Times and it's essentially comparing us to the birthday boys and talking about how the birthday boys are cerebral and indicating that they're maybe kind of boring too. And then talking about us in sort of glowing terms, even though it's not, it wasn't like fully 100% like Murderfist is amazing, birthday boys suck. But it was sort of like fist is the opposite. They're animalistic and just impulsive. And, you know, they, I think there was something about uh, how we play the same note over and over again, but we do it really well and all this stuff and and um i think from there i, I forget he posted something about being pissed off about the article and and so we just kind of happened to be put up against my fucking idol <laughs> and made my idol look bad
0: <laughs> And I'm like, what? And so he already kind of dislikes us. He's he's. Um, and then um, well, for, from a third party perspective, it it seems like he he more dislikes the author of the article than
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, but then there's there's a little more of that. Um, so we get rumblings that he's he's not a murder of his fan, not a fan of Henry, not a fan of whatever. Right. He's at the character's premiere and. And he literally just kind of like gave us the brush, like he would just kind of gave give us the stink eye, and like, I, and I'm literally feet from my fucking idol who inspired me to do comedy at the premiere of this sketch comedy special that I just put out, and he and I, you he clearly does not like me, and it was so sad. It was like I can't. I mean, it's such a weird. I mean, I guess never meet your idols, right? But and I'm and I I don't necessarily even blame him for it. You know what I mean? Because it's it's again, yeah, it's like happenstance with the article. And I think that at the end of the day, too, he maybe doesn't appreciate because my style is very different from his. He's very by the book. He's very, you know, some of the sketches, some of my favorite sketches, even from Mr. Show, he's gone on to say, in, in hindsight, he really doesn't like them because they went off the the form formula because they like just got random at the end you know what i mean and i kind of loved that about those sketches so i'm like the things even you don't like anymore about like the work you did is probably some of my favorite things about the work you did but anyways uh, i still love the guy i i i I was kind of obsessed with like breaking bad and better call saul and since i found out he doesn't really like us i haven't really been able to go back to it but i would like to someday and i still would love to meet him and let him know that you know for better for worse he inspired me on such a profound level to change my life i mean this this guy is so important and i and i had to make you know i was kind of felt really upset about the fact that he maybe isn't a a fan of my comedy or doesn't like me i mean he does i clearly he he can't not like me he doesn't know me right but but like maybe not a fan of my comedy right and and that does make me very sad on some level but at the same time it's like the perfect fucking story of my life at the same time like if all the things you've heard about me being described, like just having just being the underdog and this and that. And of course, even my idol, I'm going to have to bust my ass to try to like appeal to. And I will if I get the opportunity to. I really
0: I really will. I really, really love his work. In a lot of ways, he's he's had a lot of influence on podcasting as well. I mean, with Mr. Show, starting mm. the careers of, of people such as Paul F. Tompkins and Scott Ackerman, who are massive podcast giants. Yeah, for sure. So accessible for so many other people, obviously from the Earwolf network. Uh huh. Absolutely.
1: I mean, he's instrumental in 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 all of that stuff. It's 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 pretty crazy. I mean, all of the all of the people involved in Mister Show have gone on to to be wild successes in all these different ways. Um, that show really, you can go back to it and look. It's kind of like SCTV or something. You can like look at it as almost like the prototype for all of these like massively explosive careers. That came afterwards. Just this amazing comedy collective. I also took a lot of notes from them. There's the really good, it's like a coffee table book called Mr. Show, What Happened. And uh, I read I read everything in that book and, and really tried to follow it as a guideline for Murder Fist. I remember one of the big things that they said in the book was never write your name, never write names on sketches. Essentially, once the sketch is written and a part of the show, it's everybody's. Um, that was a huge, huge uh guiding light for me in terms of how i worked with murder Fist, in terms of how we approached our process which is very collaborative and very uh, trying to be as selfless as possible and trying to be as open and creatively as possible i mean i got major major inspiration um, in so many different ways from mr show and from bob odenkirk and his work and his story because again he was like he is only successful because he just worked so fucking hard to get there. He was never
0: handed anything, and uh, I love that. I love that quality of him. Oh, one thing he was handed was an unsolicited package from uh, Tim and Eric. Yes, uh, he's sort of got the Midas touch. Bob Odenkirk. It seems like everything he's involved with has just exploded. Yes, I and mean, he he discovered them, like helped and develop. Tom goes to the mayor, and then. You know, the rest is history there. I actually first discovered Bob Odenkirk on their show on Tim and Eric. Orson's Interesting. Show. That's I, amazing. I think I'm about one comedy generation below you. In a- right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And for him to go and, and get that, I mean, that is so. That is like to see what they're doing and be like, these guys are going to be the next big thing is pretty amazing on its like initial level, because, you know, you've got to know you've got to really have some good instincts, I think, to be able to pick them out and be like, you know, this is it. Like, let's do it. Um, it, it that, that show is just so amazing. And again, so experimental. And so much of like what I loved also about Mr. Show is that it just felt like sky's the limit. You know, they can do anything they want. And um and it's just so great. Um, it's so experimental and great. So, yeah, I love that he was a part of that and then goes and then his next big thing after that is fucking breaking bad like it's crazy like is is this fucking giant tv like you know there's a lot of comedy in breaking bad but very
0: serious action show i mean i mean it's just so cool and better call soul as well obviously spinning off from that yeah which is great which i think in a lot of ways is uh, a bit more of a realized show than breaking bad Mm. Saul and Mike are like my two favorite characters from Breaking Bad anyway, so it's so good to have a show of uh-huh. just, basically just them. I don't know if you've got into uh-huh. it much.
1: I have. I watched the first season, and like I said, then I found out Bob Odenkirk might not like me, and I haven't gone back, but I do
0: plan on going back at some point. I guess it would cast it in a different light. <laughs>
1: it's just hard. It's hard. It's funny. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who this has happened to, but it's just so funny. I'd be like, well, you'd probably hate to know this, but you inspired me to do the thing you don't like.
0: He kind of strikes me (laughs) as someone who has like a a bit of a demeanor about him that maybe, uh, Maybe you're reading into it more than... Yeah, maybe. I could be. I say this in the best possible way, but with no offense, man, but it's probably more likely that you're not even on his radar.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't think me Holden is on his radar. I think just Murder Fist sort of was, and he didn't like it. You know what I mean? I should clarify it. Like, I, I really don't think he he ever would be able to pick my face out of a lineup or know who I if anything, he knows who Henry is and maybe doesn't like Henry. But um, maybe. But and I forget. I think there's some other. Yeah, there's some other elements of the story I'm forgetting, too. But either way, we, we have we have confirmed the fact that he's not a not a fan. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> well, hopefully that'll turn around. I, yeah exactly and it's one of those where it'd be like i think it'd be funny if i ever got to actually have a conversation with him about it um because
0: again i you're right totally though you're totally 100 right about the radar well i could say uh, at least in this case it was a pleasure meeting one of my idols hey thank you man and this it. was a lot of fun yeah so is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up
1: yeah, definitely. Twitch.tv forward slash is my Twitch stream. Wizard and the Bruiser, again, is the name of the podcast. Check it out. Um, and then you've got the Cowmen. You can check find us on Spotify or Bandcamp. And I'm probably forgetting something, but that's pretty much it. Um, is, those are those are the, the big ones, I guess. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me. I love an opportunity to talk about
0: all of this stuff. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was uh, brighten my day up when you replied to that uh, Twitter message.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's. I, I'm I'm trying to do a thing, and I'm like nervous about saying it too much because I don't want to get like bombarded. But so far, I haven't. I am trying, and and by the way, this is shout outs to the Super Best Friends podcast because we hit them up. Jake hit them up early on, which were people I never thought would even respond to a message uh, about doing episodes with us, and they both times it was Wooly and Matt McMuscles, and both times they responded, did the episode. Matt McMuscles did two different episodes about Godzilla with us on two different occasions, and I said to myself, if anyone ever hits me up to do any show I will I will say yes and make it happen. I might not like. It might be sometimes uh, it's hard. uh, Like I don't get back right away or whatever. But my policy is we all need, and and this is my policy with Twitch too. My policy is we all need to help each other. There is no point to holding each other down, and you know not doing other like. If I get too busy at a point, I'll have to say no to things. But until then, like. Um, I want to just, and this was great. This sounded like a great time. I mean, I think the podcast is fantastic, by the way, too. So it's not just, oh, I'll say yes to everybody. I mean, you you seem like this would be a really good show to do, but I really think we all need to just promote everybody, just be as giving and helpful. Just spread the love as much as possible. Anybody who goes on my Twitch stream is like, Hey, I have a Twitch stream. I'll be like, everybody follow this person, you know, support this person. They're in my chat. They're here watching me like fucking watch them too. Let's be a community. Let's help each other. Let's bring each other up because like you're only going to get good things out of helping you know as opposed to like trying to like sabotage or whatever I mean coming up in comedy in New York you see a lot of that in the comedy community people like doing shitty things or sabotaging or just not helping you know and being selfish and I think it's just such a lame way to um, be in this industry, and everybody I know who is incredibly successful Camille Nanjani, um, yeah, Ch- Michael Che—the uh, people uh, have always been. These people have always been nothing but nice to me, and um, and now you know. And then no, and then no surprise, their careers are you know exploding. So uh,
0: yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow us on all social media at Cave Goblins and check out what we're doing over on CaveGoblins.com. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. It's absolutely the best way to support the show at no cost. You can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere you listen. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Comedy Zeitgeist. I'm Doug Vandalay. See you next time. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.